Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Behind the Mic podcast. We're here for Season 2, Episode 18, winding down Season 2. Only a couple more episodes to go. Last week, talking with Nick Duranik. Next week, Season 2, Episode 19, we talked to one of two PA voices of the New York Mets, Colin Cosell, so look forward to that. My guest today, public address announcer of the Bradley University men's basketball team, someone I've been very fortunate to know as long as I have, Paul Herzog. Paul, how are you? Thank you, Alex. Thanks for doing this. Now, when you have as unique a role as you have in terms of how long you've been there and the path you got to Bradley men's basketball, how did this start for you? Because I understand it's the at least affinity for it started as a student, correct? Could you kind of tell me about well, those early days? If you're going to let me go historical, it actually started in high school. I grew okay. up in a small town, Troy, Illinois, about 20 miles from St. Louis. And our high school had a decent men's basketball program. It was back when there was only one class, so we were always up against Collinsville and wouldn't beat them. Triad was the name of the high school. Troy is the town itself. It's right on Interstate 55. And I would do the starting lineups and then go sit in my seat with the boys, the boys group that was the cheering section. So it wasn't like I've done since then where you're doing the whole game, but it was something I enjoyed and didn't think twice about it. So when I came to Bradley as a freshman, there were several freshman basketball players on our dorm floor. So I got to know them. And in that era, back in 1970, which the fall of 1970, the freshmen were not eligible to play varsity. They had a sophomores and higher. So I would go to the games to watch my roommates or classmates play and realize nobody was doing the announcing for the game. So I volunteered and they said, sure. You know, the only people there were the parents and family and friends and the players. It wasn't like there was 7,000 people in the field house. But then afterwards I would sit with Frank Personi, who was the PA announcer for the men's team and kind of sit there as his gopher. If he needed something done, I'd track it down. And I kind of just sat there and watched the whole thing unfold. So I would have the experience of doing the preliminary game, which they would play a doubleheader, their freshman game and then the varsity, and would sit there. So when the position came open, it came open because Channel 47, back in, again, the 70s, started broadcasting television of men's basketball, Bradley men's basketball. Well, Frank was an accomplished play-by-play guy, so he took the play-by-play spot, which left open the PA job. Joe Delfonso had just become the sports information director. And he said, because he knew me a couple years behind me, we were in the same classes at journalism and speech and those kind of things. He said, you've got some experience filling in for Frank. You want to be the PA guy? I said, yes. And that's been 43 years and six, or, yeah, 654 games ago. <laughs> it's almost like being in the right place at the right time. And I never thought when I would quit, I just kept doing it. So here I am that many years later. What were the biggest differences in public address announcing back when you started, um, especially comparing it to your role now and how that's changed over the years? You know, it's, it sounds like the old days back when I was your age, okay, <laughs> which is the Agatucci, it's a restaurant in Peoria. They used to have yeah. a dry erase message board, and every time you went in there, there's a different saying on the message board. And it was sometimes poignant, sometimes funny. Well, the one that stuck with me I probably saw 10 years ago was, the quickest way to stop a conversation is to begin with back when I was your age. <laughs> and my son Bradley and my daughter Alyssa have heard me say that so many times and they tuned me out as quickly as you would. So I appreciate you asking that question. But what's different 
is it's not about just the game anymore. It's become a promotional economic resource for the program. Back then, the only announcements I really had before the game were no smoking in the field house, smoking in the field house four year only. Okay. At halftime, it was called the Bradley Marionettes, which was a dance group of girls at that time. And that was about the extent of anything except for the starting lineups and the announcing of the game. So there was nothing to clutter the timeouts with. There were no dead ball promotions. The music was the band, which was still fabulous back then as it is today. But it was really about the game, truly the game. And it's evolved now, as you know, into not only just regular commercials, but video commercials and on the floor MCs for promotional stuff and fan involvement. I'm not sure it's necessarily bad because fans come there and now they expect to be entertained for almost every waking minute. But it surely changed what was the day when it was a simplified focus on the game and that was the extent of it. It's not going back to those days, nor should it, but the economics of it are so necessary. I'm thinking just in the situations we are now. All these sports that are waiting for fans and waiting for the normal of, of life, there's money not flowing in that otherwise would be flowing in. So it's a changed world, that's for sure. There's Nil, who you and I both know well. Um, he once, I pulled up a source where he once said, every game is like the first I've ever broadcast and every one I do it like it's the last one. What are your thoughts on that quote and how you could kind of compare it to how announcers might treat um, the public address side of things? Well, a couple of trivia things. One is not many people know that Dave Snell was a public address announcer the year before I started. Frank Bassoni had left to do the TV. Dave became the sports information director for a year between Jim Dinan and an icon at Bradley for 20 plus years and Joe taking on that job. So he giving a broadcast background was a PA guy. Okay? Then Joe became the SID and Dave went off to Arizona to seek fame and fortune that led him back to Peoria. And that was the evolution. So a trivia contest is how many public address announcers has Bradley basketball had since 1932? And the answer is four. Bob Loy, spelled L-E-U, Bob Loy was the first PA announcer going back to the famous five. He did it for 32 years. Frank did it for 10, Dave did it for one, and now my 44th year coming up. You know, I would like to say that every game is that fresh, but because there's so much of the commercialization of it, I still bring that enthusiasm, but it's more a challenge to bring it because you know you're not gonna be focusing on just the game. So I guess to answer your question, there's a certain adrenaline that kicks in and no matter how bad the teams have been or how empty the arena has been, it's still a live mic. It's still enthusiasm for what's going on on the floor. And it's also the realization that whatever you say is going to be heard by everybody who's in the building. <laughs> so you better pay attention to what you're doing. Well, and hopefully you don't mind me bringing this up, but I was reading the journal star Q and a with you about the thought too. Yeah. You know, in, in situations like that. And I mean, that happens to everybody, right? I mean, that's just part, you know, something slips out. Like out, there was a game a couple of years ago, uh, Bradley baseball was hosting Missouri State. I made some comment about a pitching change, nothing negative or anything, one thing right. was going on and didn't realize it was my first time announcing at Dozer Park. I forgot that once you held the button down, it stayed down. 
And, you know, of course, I'm, of course, I'm parked right next to the Missouri State bus, you know, so I made sure that the coach was not upset with me or anything. But yeah, and I mean, that that happens for sure. Um, well, let me, let me define those incidents, may I? Yeah. Okay, Go so the one, that, the one that's probably the most famous in some respects was Willis Reed was a coach of Creighton University. Creighton was in the Valley. We had a good team. They had a good team. Willis Reed used to be a center for the New York Knicks decades ago. He's probably 6'10 tall and maybe four feet wide. He's a huge guy, okay? And we had a breakaway dunk and a layup, and the crowd went crazy. And we had a second breakaway, and the crowd went crazy. And on the third one, it ended up with a steal and length of the court dribble and drive and a two-handed dunk by Voicey Winters, and the crowd went absolutely crazy. Now, if you're a coach and you've had three straight dunks on a breakaway, what would you do when you got off the bench walking towards center court making the T sign? You'd be making a timeout. Yeah. Well, he was complaining, I found out later, that Voicey Winters, who made the dunk, was hanging on the rim. So he was asking for a technical foul to be called. Uh, well, he did it in the exact same manner you would do if you were a coach and you were frustrated by the breakaways and the crowd noise, you'd come to center court and make that sign. So he said, I didn't call timeout. And our coach, Dick Versace, said, I didn't call timeout. The referee pointed right at me and said, he called timeout. <laughs> well, what, it, what they did was they took, took a timeout and they charged it to me. But it's one of those things where you think, hey, yeah. you know, I'm just anticipating, which is the worst thing to do as a PA announcer is if it doesn't come out the way you anticipate it, now it's gone live, and now you become part of the action. The second incident was we were playing Illinois State, which was our arch rival, is still our arch rival. It was being coached by Kevin Stallings, who grew up in Collinsville, which is the rival school and town that I grew up in. So I knew Kevin. He didn't know me, but I knew of him because he was an accomplished basketball player. So we had played Illinois State close in years past. We always had their rivalry. Here it was in the first half, and we're getting hammered by the referee's calls based on the way it was showing up on the court. So it got to be there were six team fouls on us and only one on Illinois State. So in the second half, I normally do a recap late in the game. Timeouts remaining, each team has two, each team is in the bonus, Possession arrow belongs to whoever. Well, this was the first half, and there were about three minutes left in the first half, and I did my recap during a timeout. <laughs> Each team has four timeouts remaining. Possession arrow favors Bradley. Team fouls. Bradley, six. Illinois State, only one. He looked daggers at me, and if he could have killed me with his eyes, I was dead on the spot. The athletic director for Illinois State went directly behind the scores table where he was sitting, down to where Ron Ferguson, our, day, our AD, was sitting, jawing at him, pointing at me as if I had done something to influence the game. Well, at that point, the crowd reacted, as you would, to that kind of only one statement, which was the most political and incorrect I think I've ever done. And after the game was over, the team files were even. Bradley won the game. So I feel like in some small measure <laughs> – even though I'm supposed to be impartial, I'm a Bradley graduate for crying out loud. I couldn't help myself under the nature of the rivalry and the Kevin Stallings history and everything else. And I got a letter appropriately from Doug Elgin, the commissioner, who reminded me that my role was to be A, neutral, 
and B, not say something that would have an impact on the attitude of what's going on on the floor. Now, we joke about it, he and I, to this day, and I didn't do it with any sense of disrespect to the Valley or to my position. I just couldn't help myself. So I have since learned to be more disciplined. I do want to go kind of off script real briefly with the recent announcement of Doug Elgin retiring. Obviously a man that, even though I haven't been involved with the Valley as long, but you can just see the impact he's made with the conference. Kind of your thoughts on that recent news. Well, he is truly, I mean, you talk about longevity having its place, but it's not just longevity. It's longevity with an impact. I mean, other people can have long-term careers doing stuff and not impact the world in which they function. But for him to have to deal with the changing football environment as it affected the Valley, to deal with the whole uh, Title IX expectation on the women's side of athletics, to deal with the political environment that comes with coaches from every sport, but most often in basketball. The move to St. Louis was at the beginning a big consideration because teams like having won the league and hosting the tournament on their campus, a distinct advantage for those schools. But he was about parity and rightfully so. So he took some major things and that were historically okay, upset the apple cart to produce a much better result in every way, based on not only the success of the tournament, but the fairness of it and his effort to lead that charge and his staff makes him really, I would say, without a doubt, one of the best commissioners in the entire NCAA. And from a mid-major conference point of view, I don't know who could have the longevity impact on the sport, not just basketball, in our case, basketball, because we're talking about basketball PA, but nonetheless, he influenced sports all across the board, soccer and softball and baseball and everything else too. So I'll miss him because of his friendship but I respect for what he's done. He'll be a footprint that'll be hard to fill. We can't go much further in this interview talking about longevity when it comes to your role with Bradley. You said you're entering your 44th season. As a young buck on the campus of Bradley, like you said way back when, did you ever think, you probably never thought that here you'd be sitting 44 seasons later still not using the literal same mic, but still in the same chair. No, and I guess it's one of those things you don't set out to do it. It's not an economic reward. I don't get paid to do the games. So it was one of those things, and I'm satisfied the ego trip of doing it is important. And to have that impact of being a part of a program that's been as big as it is in Central Illinois as Bradley basketball, it's meant a lot to me personally just to have that opportunity to sit there. Now, it's one thing having the best seat every night. There's some nights you would like to leave early when the rest of the people do, but that's been years ago, and those those – types of teams and those types of apathy appear to be thankfully long gone, but I still didn't care. To me, it was still my alma mater. It was a role that gave me some sense of following my broadcasting vocation because I didn't take it to the, to the career side. Uh, and I don't know how to give it up because I enjoy doing it so much. Within that longevity is the fact that it's known that you've missed next to no games over this 43 seats, 43 seasons how important has that been to you to maintain that kind of consistency, that terms of loyalty when it comes to availability? Well, it's, it's not quite like Lou Gehrig, okay, <laughs> or Cal Ripken, but it's one of those things where I've never had to think about not doing it. The first three years when I was still in, here at the field house, Joe Stoll was the coach. Each January, the magazine company I worked for I was the advertising manager and we had a trade show somewhere in the country. PJS Publications was the name of the firm. And 
I would have to attend that trade show because all of our advertisers were at that function. So I would miss a home game in January until I left that firm and went to Mass Mutual and started my financial planning career. Well, the three games I missed would mean nothing to the outsiders who were hearing this, but to those that know history of Bradley basketball, the first one I missed was Bobby Humbles made a last second shot to beat Wichita State. That was a big deal even back then. Wichita was a factor. The second one I missed was Dick, uh, Roger Fagley and Reggie Theus from Nevada, Las Vegas had a shootout. And I think the score was like 110 to 108 and Fagley had like 40 points and Theus had like 40 points. I missed that whole game. And the third one was Versace's first year when he had to be taken off the court for arguing with the officials when Ron Ferguson, the AD, had to pull him from the court and eject him from the building. So I thought every game I miss, something good is going to happen <laughs> or something phenomenal, maybe not something good. Well, that was the last of the effort to miss. And I went on from there. And now it's been 40 years, I guess, of the 43 where I've had a run going forward. And I don't know, it, you know, it's one of those things people ask me, when are you going to quit? And I guess, God willing, I don't know that I have to make that answer. Uh, if I don't do something like incorrectly positioning the team foul count, I probably won't get fired for what I say, but you try and think, well, Hey, is, are people tired of me? Probably some are. Do people appreciate it? I think so. And I try and bring a certain passion to the game that I think people who are there, I want to do this as if I were a fan getting information. So if there's something that happens on the court, I want to explain to the people sitting there, what's just happened. Was it a ruling? Was it a discussion? I mean, those things are generally somewhat private, but I think the fan who pays money to be there deserves to know what all the fuss was about. That's the approach I choose to take. And I think, again, it's more casual than it is formal. I know if you, and you have talked to some of the NCAA guys, you're pretty much scripted into an environment where there's not a lot of room for inflection. You basically read what you're told to read and that's the extent of it. Well, Bradley's afforded me by either convenience or longevity or respect. I'm not sure maybe a little of all those things not to be that dogmented. There are certain things now that are scripted for promotional reasons, but once the game is underway, I try and make it a more relaxed viewing atmosphere than something that's so sterile. It doesn't have any emotion. Now, the other thing I think is important to talk about is just the length of a role that the Bradley men's basketball program is on right now. Something I'm sure I'm sure you've been able to um, enjoy from the PA chair. What, has this run been like and like I said more specifically to have the view of the PA chair for kind of this resurgence of the program if you will well we lost a generation of fans in the era that preceded coach Wardle we lost it because of poor performance some off the court issues with some of the players it just it was it was three to 4,000 people, okay, compared to the days when it was 10,000 as regular as we're sitting here now. And it became difficult to stay engaged because you kept thinking, well, is this a cycle that's going to improve? Is this a cycle that's going to improve? And when Coach Wardle came, he cleaned house, which meant that year was going to be the most inept year in many ways. So to see this now turn full circle and have quality men, successful programs, good coaching, the enthusiasm is starting to come back, but the demographics of the population has changed. Many of the traditional multi-decade fans have quit, died, or retired, or moved elsewhere. The fans that weren't engaged when they were young enough to attend, but their parents were taking them because they weren't going to spend the money to go see 
in effect, bad basketball, to see those people now come back and see the students line the court and the kids line the court when it comes time for the starting lineups. I mean, those things are the engagement when a young age, you remember this being a kid, it was fun to go to an event that was a big time event. And I think that's the one thing I've enjoyed the resurgence of and feel good for Bradley. I feel good for Coach Wardle and his staff and the players that come with it and all the people in the Bradley administration. Chris Reynolds has done an impactful job and helped him turn this whole thing around. And here's a guy who obviously knows basketball from his own success, but he's a Peoria man who appreciates the role Bradley basketball had when he was a young man in the sport. So I think there's some pluses to having local involvement and Coach Wardle came to the Floor as a player, I got announced his game when I was doing the state tournament when he was playing in it. So it's almost ironic that here's a guy who was playing at Hinsdale Central, and I announced his name in a game that he played in the early 90s, and here he is now in a whole different setting. It's kind of fun to see that transition, too. Obviously, as we talk over Zoom, obviously with the middle of the pandemic and what have you, how do you approach such a strange season with so much uncertainty and looking at things like voice inflection for a potentially empty arena, or even like I've heard from time to time, the phrase that we're public address announcers with potentially no public to address. How do you, how do you approach all that? <laughs> I have not thought about it one minute only because there's still so much uncertainty as to what's going to unfold different. It may seem weird without a crowd reaction to go with the enthusiasm. And I haven't heard yet, but they could try and pump crowd noise into the arena like they do for the NFL and for the baseball games. That's not something that maybe they're talking about behind the scenes. I'm not a part of that discussion. So I guess I don't know how to answer that until it gets closer to a decision. You're get, Like I said, you're getting ready to start that 44th season. And we've kind of elaborated on some of the things like the how to correct mistakes that may come up over the year. But looking beyond that, what sort of advice do you feel you'd give to that first year you? You know, I think one of the things I did is observe by going to other buildings, other teams. I used to go as a student to road games and I could do that. Drake and Illinois State, obviously, and Carbondale. And I paid attention to what those men were doing in terms of the PA style. And you kind of just develop your own confidence. At some point you realize, look, you've got the position. You basically can't screw it up. So what can you do to set apart you and do a good job? And, you know, we, I was fascinated when I started researching your podcast for you to take this volunteer position with so many different people. Each one has their own story and how they ended up in the seat they're in. And whether it's short-term, long-term, or high-level, or low-level, or paid a lot, or not paid a lot, there's one thing we all have in common. We are the voice that those thousands of people hear to be communicating what's gone on with their own eyes just saw. So it's almost like stating the obvious, but I guess I never thought about where did I learn it except by acquisition of experiences and then feedback I'd get from fans or administrators on, you know, we like this about what you're doing. We don't like this about what you're doing, but there's no rule book. There's no place you can go and watch anything that I've known of that's here's how to be a PA announcer. And you talked to a gentleman last week about the sports he does volleyball and hockey and this, this, and this, I have not gotten beyond basketball and I did the cross country award ceremony for the IHSA, the high school tournament and did grade school basketball when my son was playing. But those things are the extent of my, my repertoire. But to be able to switch over to baseball 
or to do hockey or to do soccer or to do volleyball. I mean, I haven't tried to make it into a career that way. So I would have to ask those people, how did they do it to separate themselves from the other sports that they used to do? I don't have an easy answer because I don't know if there is one. Well, and there's another trivia question right there, because um, if you recall, you filled in um, for a Metamore baseball game for me a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm like, well, if he does a good enough job, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back and do any more Metamore <laughs> baseball games after that. But um, there's but no yeah. more slower. There's no more slower paced PA announcing than that. Very because true. You don't have much to say. I mean, basically, here's who the batter is and who the pitching change is. But there's not a lot of ongoing action to describe as there is in some other sports. And that's not a criticism. It's not meant to be yeah. a play-by-play -play job. It's just a whole different pace. And I like baseball, so that's not a hard thing to enjoy. But it's, it's basically who's the starting lineup as they appear, and that's it. So Now, I always like closing with this question, deceptively simple, but what do you feel is the best part, the favorite part of your job? Feeling like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Feeling like you're a piece, as are the cheerleaders, as is the band, as are the referees, as are the bench players, as are the trainer. I mean, you're basically part of this big operation that's big time when you think about it from a perspective of what's going on in Central Illinois and what did go on with national exposure back in the day. So to be a part of that, it's almost like there's a certain emotional connection to the world around you. I get the front and center visibility. So all these things I mentioned, the exception of the coaches who do post-game interviews, it's basically they're all in some form of anonymity, yet we're all in it together to help produce a product, the absence of which any of those things, you can't do without officials, you can't do without a band. Well, you could, it would be different. You can do it without a PA guy for that matter, but it would be just like a practice at that point. So there's something about the lights coming on, the popcorn popping is the phrase that's often used that you just feel like, hey, this, it's the show is going to go on. And it's kind of neat to feel because it's something that only happens 15, 16 times a year. And it's, it's been enjoyable. I've been flattered to be allowed to do it for this long. And to the extent that you've taken the time to ask me about it, I appreciate that even more. Thank you. So before we let Paul go, just another reminder available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. So whichever app is your favorite, feel free to download that and tune in. And again, next week, um, I'll talk with one of two PA voices of the New York Mets, Colin Cosell. Today, we say so long to Paul Herzog. Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Good luck.